Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek and our continuing DC Film Fest. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello Pete. Hello Matt. Hello everybody. Here today to talk Batman 1989. But first Pete, making our way through some of the geeky news in the last uh, in the last week, the Mandalorian and Grogu film now dated for May 2026, which I have to admit, I thought it would have been a little bit sooner, but I will not complain. Yes, uh, May uh, 22nd, 2026, uh, to be specific. I mean, listen, Matt, always in motion is the future. Um I know a lot of people, uh, particularly some of our listeners, critical of the title. I don't know if this will be the finished title. Uh, still don't. It certainly know. tells you what it's going to be about. It tells I, you what it, to expect. It, it does. It it effectively communicates that this. Uh, actually, the image uh, coming from an investor's um, presentation. Um, and a bunch of these dates, of course, given what I'll say is that so we know this is going into production this year. We know also that Charmaine Obechinoy's Ray movie also going into production this year. Um, apart from this date, there is also listed in 2026 a Star Wars movie for December. There is no way they're making this mistake again where they're going to double up within months of one another Star Wars movies. It's not going to happen, particularly with Bob Iger, Iger's edict this week. Uh, you know, hey, it's it's all about uh, less and better. Uh, I would add to it, as well some of the intrigue do we if this date is set and we'll take we'll take them at their word pete they're not paramount coming up with fake movies for investor day to keep wall street at bay uh the whole disney investor stuff had a really are positive they brothers what's that are they warner brothers <laughs> um I mean, up with actual movies that never see the light of day to save money they are not warner brothers in that regard either um, I would wonder, do you get the next season of Mandalorian or some sort of side season a la, you know, look, the Mandalorian showed up in half the episodes of Ahsoka season two in 2025 or, you know, something like that, that then leads into the movie. We will see. These are good problems to have. Part of me does say, no, don't take my kind of yearly Mandalorian at the TV show experience but even then it hasn't been yearly because one of the years was book of boba fett you know blah 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 blah. pete they know what they're doing and that's not just seeing things through disney colored glasses again that would also that also was the uh the, the reaction of wall street um saying this seems like a good plan not just with star wars with a bunch of the disney stuff so well, well pete until they prove us wrong by deleting movies uh that are either done or never were going to be made at all uh i think we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and or the final season, the second season, wrapped yesterday in uh, Britain. Uh, Diego Luna took to Instagram to thank the 700-plus people that have made this journey that, that started four years ago 
the second half of which the final piece of which we've yet to see but yeah let's 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 get that already and pete in weird star wars news from the week okay so follow the bouncing ball here because elon musk is upset that disney chose to stop buying ad space on twitter you know because you can make decisions about how to run a business uh now in in part due to that elon musk is now bankrolling gina carano's lawsuit uh where among other things she wants recompense of seventy thousand dollars that i guess she would have made for the next season of television that she would have uh had if she had not you know gotten herself fired and not listened to multiple options where the company was saying here's how you can apologize and maybe you could meet with an advocacy group and walk out of there and give a positive statement about love for all people and so forth two thoughts pete first is as you and i learned in the last week uh public sector workers don't necessarily have uh as many first amendment rights when talking about things that can impact their job as public sector workers do. That's number one. Number two, this is all over $70,000. That is not a lot of money to make a TV show. Most of that would go to lawyer costs if Elon Musk wasn't paying for it. So we're fighting over what essentially is a pittance in the world of acting. Yeah, I guess the Ben Shapiro-backed studio movies haven't really panned out. Um, I understand she might have like family wealth i i don't know this i'd say the whole story is bizarre but here we are matt um on top of being just completely tone deaf days after the death of carl weathers okay um this stupid lawsuit if musk is so concerned about her making a living why not just pay her Okay, why not just employ her? Okay, um, I think it's seventy five thousand dollars she's looking for, not seventy. The only reason I say that, so she was paid twenty five thousand per episode as a guest actor. She later negotiated a one time five thousand dollar bonus for someone who is. I mean, would we say she's? above the line on those i mean she was heavily promoted um even as a guest actor she was probably never gonna have as big a platform as she ever did she threw it away with both twitter hands and i'll even give her the benefit of a, of a third hand that she threw it away with as you've said the number of opportunities she was offered to say you know what i really like this job and i'm i'm not going to plant my flag on the dumb things i'm saying here yeah it, it is just gobsmackingly idiotic and uh this thing's going to get thrown out of court um i guess elon musk doesn't mind setting more money on fire pete in happier news okay it is definite that this april star trek discovery <laughs> returns for its fifth and currently final season uh, and pete i'm not trying to throw intrigue there it's the final season i'm just saying it's star trek there's always the hope for whatever um but 
there's more news, Pete? Take us into that. A purported uh, premiere for the fifth season uh, publicly has been put out there, that of uh, April 4th. Um, that has not been confirmed by the streamer, by uh, Paramount, uh, nothing else. Um, complicating that is that the second season of Halo just started streaming uh, this past Thursday, um, February 8th. And uh, if it's 10 episodes... They stream the first two episodes on that first day. That would take it up actually to April 4th, which I have a little bit of a hard time thinking that Paramount Plus, as bad as its infrastructure and PR is, would double up their two sci-fi franchises. Although they have they have doubled up... Um, discovery did they double up discovery and picard or they double up strange new worlds and and picard they might have done both we might have had two weeks where they did two at once but that's both in the star trek family can't get a number of how many uh halo episodes there are for sure there were nine in the first season um probably a covid shortened thing i've seen eight which would actually uh, free them up. Um, as we've noted off mic, they like a little bit of space sometimes between seasons. So that would take them to March 21st. Uh, so it's, it's a guessing game until we see anything. We know that in March they're going to uh, South by Southwest to uh, show at least the first episode of the fifth season. Um, Matt has speculated that'll show up on our Paramount Plus, uh, a la the um, the uh, Lower Decks crossover, which bring it on. Um, but they were in season when that was happening, so uh, yeah, we'll just have to see. But uh, uh interesting that it that an exact date has has now been floated but hey you know you you had a uh <clears throat> you had four uh you had four thursdays in uh in um april to float so you had a you had a 25 percent shot there i know too some chatter on twitter from star trek news sites that weren't the one to claim april 4th that you know they don't release unvetted information so th there's some question marks okay. there um pete less question marks that uh as we as we discussed today on super bowl sunday later today uh during the big game there will be a deadpool ad perhaps even with its official title announced uh, a lot of tongues a wagon online about that yeah no that there is a title um that will not be an untitled ad <laughs> um the uh, the the name is floating around out there. Uh, if it's indeed the name, uh, there there's an image floating around out there, and uh, I don't know, Matt. Are we to, are we to talk about it? Um, Pete, we'll know for sure later today when the when the ad airs. What have you heard 
is the name of what what we have been calling Deadpool 3. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. Give you a second here. Deadpool and friend. Um, I hope they have the guts to call it that. I love it. I love it. The moment I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I really like them leaning into that. You'd have to be living under a rock to not know Jackman is back. We're talking about Wolverine. Um, Feige had the the hat on uh, this week that has the 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 split faces. You know, one side is Deadpool, the other side Wolverine with the you know what do they even call that off the the side of the helmet? You know, it's it's not a horn, um, like an eyebrow or you know just the 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 thing that flares off the the face. You know who it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, a really evocative title and, uh, yeah, can't wait to see how that ad dominates the big game. And just before we finally start to dig into some Batman stuff, want to note that this past week, the Marvels and it's assembled hit Disney plus Pete. It's, it's weird how there was all this, all this Disney action on a week and Disney announcements on a week when they had to. <laughs> help in part start to fend off a corporate something something with stock this that the other so um the takeaway marvel's on disney plus it's assembled as well and a reminder that we have all the coverage of that film on our marvel movie podcast uh yes not only that on that feed but a lot of people digging into Ms. marvel now having come to it through the marvels that dedicated podcast feed available for you too and amazing matt all the people oh i've now watched this and i didn't go to the movie theater to watch this and i wish i had (laughs) if only they had listened to us if only they'd listened pete with that let's turn to batman and i'd like to offer a prelude here particularly for those of us who grew up with one kind of batman credit the credit of batman created by Bob Kane, Bob Kane, who cameos in Batman 1989. Uh, It's in the last 10 or 15 years. There was a book. There was a documentary that may still be on Hulu. There was the revelation here of the the Batman credit as it now stands, created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Here's what Bill Finger added early on to the character. Things like uh, gloves, things like a cape, not bat wings, things like a cowl, not a domino mask. Things like naming him Bruce Wayne and things like creating uh, a a villain in the visage of a clown named the Joker. So want to start off right off the bat saying, right off the bat, no pun intended, uh, Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger, a name that was almost forgotten, uh, but should be, should be remembered as we dive into talking about Batman 1989. Thank God, finally, that recognition. Um, you know, what I thought you were going to talk about is, you know, you and I close in age that, that Batman up until this point in time had been the super campy TV show. Um, and that we've been talking Superman for the last two weeks and how he dominated what was superhero comic book uh films culture 
um, at least as far as a wider audience um, for the early part of the 80s. And then the the train gets chugging. All right, let's let's bring Batman to the big screen and Batman for me, I can speak to was, you know, after school, Adam West, um, you know, that was a fixture. Uh, everybody knew that. OK, and this idea that, oh, it's coming to the big screen and Tim Burton. Oh, this this guy that did Beetlejuice, this guy that did Pee Wee's Big Adventure is going to do Batman. Um, and right from the get go, he puts the goth and Gotham, you know, the the industrial design coming off Beetlejuice. Matt, it it might be a contender as director. Listen to this three-year, you know, back-to-back-to-back directorial offerings, okay? 1988, Beetlejuice, okay? Second major studio movie, his debut having been uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 1985, Okay. 1989, Batman, 1990, Edward Scissorhands, okay? I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find three films by a director, three consecutive years, that lines up with the quality, with uh, the zeitgeist, with the overall contribution of those three films, we can say that now. I think that when he was announced, and I should say, you know, I, I was nine years old when this movie came out, so I was not aware. I guess I was aware of Batmania building in the spring of 1989, but certainly some of this, some of this, I was not part of the 50,000 people who wrote letters to Warner Brothers. Just think what that would have been now if that was tweets or emails or whatever. 50,000 letters uh, in protest when it was announced that the director of the peewee films had gotten mr mom to star in batman and here we were i would imagine through the lens of yes declining in quality superman films but the vision of the 1978 superman film in terms of knowing when to lean into the extraordinary you know the krypton stuff and all that knowing when to keep it super grounded metropolis is new york looks just like new york filmed in new york all of that stuff here these guys are ruining hashtag our batman and all of that that's part of the reason why if you go on youtube and you look for the first batman trailer uh usually it's you know batman 1989 trailer number one something like that it's the one that has no music that got rushed to get put together for Christmas 1988 in order to quell the anger. And, you know, it's got, it doesn't have the Danny Elfman music yet, but it's got in a 60 second thing, it's got all the things you would want to hit. It's got, who are you? I'm Batman. It's got, where's he get those wonderful toys? It's got the Batmobile. It's got on and on and on. You kind of, you watch it now and you go, oh, okay, cool. That's like 60 seconds from this movie. I know pretty well. That was put in place to stop the bleeding because they knew <laughs> internally they knew what kind of movie they were working on, but the the buzz at at a certain point was so so bad, um, and 
again, Pete, through the lens of our Superman discussions, you know, checking off some boxes here, uh, visionary director on his way up. Uh, and that P.S. That's a tool that Marvel has gone on to use, you know, kind of the new director, but not somebody who's going to get too powerful that we let them get too crazy, like having a dark Christmas movie where somebody eats the fish and uses the the P word in Batman Returns. Um, you know, th- there's that. There's the let's hire one of the greatest actors of all time to headline the movie, even though he's not playing the the title character, you know, Brando, Superman, Nicholson, Batman. Um, all the way down to, I know that they did not film this in conjunction with its sequel, but my goodness, Pete, the notion that you could sit there with some comics knowledge and say, Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. They're already planning for when he becomes Two-Face. Dude, don't do this to me right now. (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm not ready yet to acknowledge we will never see Billy Williams, Billy D. Williams. Okay, Two Face, Harvey Dent, completely set up here, robbed for us in perpetuity. Please don't do this to me right now. Well, uh, and, and you know, it's it's a shame that the production didn't go in that direction. I will say, Pete, Billy D. Williams had a contract for it, and they needed to buy him out uh, when doing Batman Forever. So good news, Billy D. Williams. I don't have the number in front of me. I think it's five million dollars. Billy D. Williams made millions of dollars off of Batman forever when he was not picked for it. Good. And, um, I, and I, it's, it's worth 10 times that now. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that is a sad legacy of this otherwise superior, superiorly successful film. Matt, are you aware without looking what Nicholson's deal was? I mean, I think I've read it in the last week. It was similar to um, similar to Brando's deal in terms of less money up front and a slice of, I want to say, the box office and the merchandising. I think like his normal his normal take was something like eight or ten million dollars. He took four or five million dollars. Ended up making six. A six. He ended up making fifty to ninety million dollars off this movie. Ninety closer to 90 yeah um which just i knew it was a lot okay and listen he he gives it everything he's got here it it is end to end for his career his riskiest role and i can't believe the things that burton gets the super established and height of his game performer to do i mean the prosthetics the makeup the zaniness uh that that he goes through um you know heading into high school this came out the the summer before i started high school you know this this movie and batman in general this take on it was everywhere you know the ubiquitous Prince soundtrack, you know, the, the whole, all the, all the songs. Okay. This was still an era where, uh, they would get a video game adaptation out. If not before shortly after, and the, the Nintendo entertainment system, uh, game of this, 
is par excellence when it comes to adaptations of a video game um you know flip it around a, a year later total recall and and just the absolute you know abysmal failure of, of that on a, on a video game level okay from the get-go danny elfman's score and you know while they're already super close collaborators that you know you you hear peewee you hear beetlejuice but makes batman batman on the screen for more than a well approximately a decade right 97 is is batman and um and uh robin um and as as you said keaton's casting raising such eyebrows but from the moment you hear him intone i'm batman he just completely gets you to believe it and you called him mr mom but you know end of his career this is his signature role to the point where he's reprised it and you're gonna make us watch flash soon <laughs> and talk about it well it's funny i will say you know look we put together our dc film fest a big opening on the schedule until discovery starts be an opportunity to hit some stuff that we haven't talked about before. Um, and also like I have, look, you and I both made the personal decision as well as like the fantastic geek podcast decision that we were not going to patronize flash given some of the concerns over the actor and how he interacts with people and so on and so forth. Now that it's on max, now that I'm already paying for it, now that we're already doing a DC film fest, it was with some pleasure watching Batman for this week to say, oh, there's a little bit more to come, you know, though we're not podcasting uh, Batman Returns. P.S. Next week, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, also streaming on Mask, uh, on Max, um, you know, that we kind of, for as great as the Superman the movie and Superman 2 journey was, it is Batman 1989 that's a bit more of the the truly kind of modern archetype of the comic book movie that, you know, a decade plus later, you're two, two decades later and so forth would start to get kicked off where they're talking X-Men, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and so forth. So the notion that we get a little bit more Keaton coming at the end of our journey for the DC film fest, I'm looking forward to that. I know some people hold the flash movie in high regard, um, but bringing it back to this movie here, look, I've obviously seen, we've all seen Batman so many, so many times, right? Um, but just to have this moment right as it begins where there's, you know, boy and parents were walking out of the theater. <laughs> I was saying, oh, right. It's a, we need to show the young Bruce Wayne kid and then falling for that gag, yes. right? Falling on, uh, on the first big screen, uh, Batman. Okay. Uh, so maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you're not. Matt, listeners, uh, it was not the first time on a screen um, when we ultimately get it later in the film that the Wayne parents are killed. Are you aware of its first uh, depiction on a screen? Um, I mean, I can't imagine that they did it in 
the TV show? No. Um, are you maybe referring to the 1940s Batman serials? Where, 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 where were the? Where, when's the first time they filmed the death of the Wayne parents? Four years earlier, there's a cartoon, the Superpowers Team: colon, Galactic Guardians, in which they are killed. Wow. Okay. Um, and you know, there are super cuts all over YouTube, you know, some show them end to end, some overlay them. I like the one that puts, you know, there's, there's all these different tiles and you're watching it all happen simultaneously. And, and we joke about it the number of times we here we're joking about it on the setup and they're misdirecting us early on. Oh, it's not the family. No, it's in, it's in the present, uh, you know, uh, tense of the story that this is going on. Uh, yeah, uh, not the first time, but they're still having fun with us and we're having fun in retrospect the number of times we've seen his parents murdered. I think of how two weeks ago we were discussing pros and cons of Superman the movie starting at literally the beginning, you know, destruction of Krypton and the thing land, the rocket lands and young boy found etc etc for this movie to have the a the presence of mind b a much we'll say later comic book convention you know in that you think of like the marvel renaissance and early mcu and everything was origin story origin story then at a certain point they're like people are kind of sick of origin stories so we're just going to dive on in with whatever uh whatever the latest story is we're going to dive on in with a character that's Meeting old character, you know, whatever it might be, to do that here, okay, fine. It's early in Batman's tenure in Gotham City. This is his first big case, and he's gonna, you know, win the heart of the city by the end of it, and so forth. That, um, I, I let me this way: that is not the most uh, obvious way to start the movie, but you get to dive on in with the the well-known mythology here. Um, Similarly, you know, I, I I know at the time, and perhaps even since then, there's some been some objection to kind of the uh, the closed circle of, you know, Jack Napier, the Joker, is the origin story for the death of Batman, and so forth. Uh, look, I will grant you if you're going to do uh, a comic a month a comic times twelve months, or multiple Batman comics a month times twelve months, yeah, that's a little lazy for this movie as you hope there's going to be a sequel or kick off a new series or whatever, but in the needs of a standalone movie, it really, really works. And the notion of the snake eating its tail and who started who and who caused who, um, I think that really works on the page. There's a real feel and sense to this movie that they understood they may never get another shot at this. So they leave nothing out. Um, it has everything that we have to get and and more because, well, what if we don't, what if it's not successful? What if we don't get to do this again? Could it stand alone? Could it be its own? I, I think it could. Um, but yeah, they, they take every swing okay here's here's harvey dent may get to that may not they don't with this actor they do in this uh quadri quadrilogy right 
of of films. Uh, yeah, heck, let's let's make the killer having been, um, you know, the Joker and, and really set that up so that, you know, they've they've always got that intertwined, although Batman Forever has something to say about that. Um, you know, the ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight is iconic. The, the number of iconic lines um, Nicholson delivers here, uh, you know, the, the number from the movie. I mean, it, it's not surprising that Prince's bat dance uh, has more lyrics credited to not Prince than Prince and was still such an enormous hit and, you know, is, is funny to listen to all these years later, you know, the, the, the crossover success there, you know, remember vividly the, the video premiere on MTV and Prince's costumed as both Batman and the Joker, like they, they didn't, bad guy the the character so much and you've got the biggest star in the film playing the villain um but really leaned into okay like you can have fun with this character it's not the darth vader you you can't you shouldn't be so much afraid as you're along for the roller coaster and the ha-has of it and everything like that. And and all the the zeitgeist, you know, get the funk up, Matt. The summer of 1989, you know, we were we were getting the funk up. And, you know, Prince talking about what he's gonna do to Ducky and the and the computer in the video. I I kind of marvel at how much this movie covers in two hours. Um and maybe that contributes to, as we said before, not necessarily starting the movie with, you know, Batman origins and here's the the killing of the parents and so forth. But, you know, you have Kim Basinger as Vicki Vale coming in kind of as the new, the new force in town. Uh, also love interests, certain degree, femme fatale, et cetera. Um, all of this stuff that needs to get introduced Again, I'm kind of thinking back to our Superman discussions where it's like you need to check all these boxes of Daily Planet and Perry White, you know, all of these things um, and how, you know, overall they're successful in the first two Superman films. But, you know, to get Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Dent, all of that, to take the time for Jack Palance as Carl Grissom to be in two or three scenes, um, you know, essentially to exist, you know, Jack Palance as this, this film force in his own right story-wise to exist as the number one that Jack Nicholson can overtake to then be uh, kind of to, to demonstrate how bad his badness is and, and all of that. It's just amazing how it all works. Um, unlike Batman returns, we also have a good balance here of Batman in the Batman movie and all of that. Um, you add, uh, um, uh, William Hootkins as uh, Lieutenant Eckhart, um, Porkins, uh, uh, 12 years earlier, Porkins in, uh, in Star Wars. And, you know, just how it's 
everything is working together in concert. You know, of course there's a corrupt cop because it's this corrupt Gotham. Even, you know, the production design, Anton First's Oscar-winning production design here of just this city where stuff is built on top of stuff and you can't ever feel comfortable there. Every little last piece is working together and you believe that this is a place, it's maybe not our reality, but it's half a half a reality over can be this place. It hits on so many levels. You mentioned Basinger before. 1988, Kent Basinger is a, is a total vibe paired up here with Robert Walls Knox, who kind of carries the movie early and then straight up disappears later on in, in one of the film's minor, minor failings. Um, he, Jack, was, he was originally going to get killed off, so I'd say it's a good edit to keep him alive, even though he doesn't show up in the other ones. The the other Jack, Matt, Palance, okay, and the and the setup there, you know, the 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 big boss of of course, uh his wife, mistress, girlfriend, not quite clear, best left that way, played by Jerry Hall. Um somebody Nicholson was linked to at one point or, or another, um, uh, you know, the, the corruption with the police force, the axis chemical situation and, and set up there. Um, but again, letting Nicholson do Nicholson things, uh, wait till we got a load of him uh and and matt when you're ready i have uh a jack nicholson story for you pete i would love to hear this jack nicholson story especially if uh you know i know we're not going scene by scene here but in my mind's eye he has yet to plunge into the vat and to become properly the joker so let's hear a jack nicholson story so uh jack nicholson is the most notable uh alumnus of uh a nearby high school uh, the theater is actually named for him now. Um, and in uh, the year 2000, uh, that high school's Thanksgiving rivalry for football changed. It was another school they had played. Actually, it, it's uh, it's Matt's uh, alma mater that they had played for years and years and years. Uh, and that changed in the year 2000 uh, to its uh, geographical rival. Um, the upshot of this is Nicholson gets word of this. Uh, he shows up unannounced the day before Thanksgiving to a game that I covered when I was a full-time journalist um, that uh, estimates put uh, in uh, excess of 10,000 people attending. It was it was an enormously attended game. So he gets wind of it. He shows up the day before in a limo. I am at my desk. Uh, we're we've gotten the paper out that day. We're getting ready for this enormous crowd tomorrow for a high school football game in New Jersey, which you know uh, usually not the biggest deal, and to get in excess of 10,000 people in the year 2000, that was a big, big deal on a, on a freezing cold day. 
So I get a phone call at my desk. It is a secretary of that high school. She's like, hey, hey, you have to get a photographer down here right away. Jack Nicholson just pulled up, okay, um, with his girlfriend. And he has walked or is walking onto the field to talk to the team and to deliver this, you know, impromptu pep talk. So they beat the rival the next day. Uh, so I, of course, tell my photographer, I, I also grab my, uh, my pad, my pen and my recorder. And I start sprinting down the street. It's about three blocks away. Okay. Roll up, see the limo right by the field. Okay. Uh, see Nicholson gesticulating in front of, you know, a, a bunch of kids and coaches who have all taken a knee and are listening. And the irony is, you know, they had a super personality uh, coach long established. The the field now bears his name. He's since passed away. Um, and really the only person he would have ever stopped a, a football game for is the most notable alumnus of uh, that school. So uh, as I'm running up, okay, and, and start to slow down so I don't look like a total dork, um, notice that uh, a woman, their girlfriend, has gotten out of the limo and is attempting to walk in seven-inch heels on a muddy football field. Get out there, closer to him. He is... He has run out of this and, and she's maybe grown impatient. Okay. The principal of the high school has now, uh, or was the whole time, uh, there. Okay. And just as I'm getting closer, all right, and I can hear, you know, 30 yards away, Nicholson, <laughs> okay. I'm much, much closer to the principal and who I, recognize Lara Flynn Boyle, okay, the girlfriend at the time, okay, and I hear the principal, who would later be an interim principal in my building, uh, say to her, do you like chicken? And I watch her head snap violently in his direction, like, what kind of question is this? Do I like chicken? And she kind of considers it for a second, and then she says, yes. And he puts his elbow out to her and he says, well, take a wing. And she does not hesitate. She grabs his arm and he walks her out to the field. And uh, that's my Jack Nicholson story. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a story with a happy ending there, certainly. Um... Uh, wow. he wouldn't he wouldn't talk to me he got right back in the car <laughs> well at least he's i, I don't know I, I remember similarly when the high school auditorium was dedicated in his honor he had been invited nobody knew if he was showing up they were proceeding with i mean was it as i recall Pete, it might have been like for the 50th anniversary of the high school or 50th well the an anniversary of his graduation or something like that and like out of the blue, he shows up and so on and so forth. So uh, a gracious guy, I think one who one who stays in his lane, um, wide as it might be. It should be noted that uh, their rival, 
defeated them the next day, that school, his uh, alma mater, had been riding what was a record 34-game win streak uh, and lost the next day. Well, Pete, maybe he had his own ulterior Joker motives. Who knows? (laughs) And, And bringing it back to Joker here, I, you know, I, I remember Batmania, as I said, kind of leading into this movie. I don't know that I had seen the TV show or I was aware of it, certainly much before the movie came out. Um, Watching it this time, I was struck that clearly they must have been making it with the knowledge that for so many people that was, you know, their Batman experience was the TV show. So to, to have Jack Nicholson as this baddie who's a little flamboyant he wears purple suits who's you know going around with the carl grissom's girlfriend and so on and so forth who's put in a position to fail at axis chemical and to finally you know to get the bullet to the face which is not i mean it's not completely clear in this pg edit of the film it's not completely clear like it both it is that a bullet ricochets and hits him and he says oh you know he's hurt that much is clear but this notion that both cheeks have been blown out pete he will need face surgery i don't think that that at least to me as a nine-year-old that was not a thousand percent clear but there he is physically hurt batman trying to save him batman having deflected the bullet and so forth then he falls into these chemicals and that's what bleaches the skin that's what turns the hair green you know it's we get to that comic book place without it being um kind of the, the the joyous weirdness of the 1966 TV series um and also just with this pitch perfect makeup job here I, I think I've seen probably on YouTube but you know different makeup tests and so forth and Pete shades of baby Yoda or shades of a thousand other things where you see the first 10 tries and they don't work and when you know the one they went with that's the one re- it's not just oh i recognize that as the one they used it's that's the one that works he earns every penny of what he's ultimately been paid for this with his performance with what he does and lets them do to him you mentioned before the the blink and you miss it you know pg gore of oh man is his face just got so messed up. Um, and then wearing the the plastered uh, plastic surgery smile for the rest of the film upon, at times, two different layers of makeup, you know, the 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 skin tone concealer, and then, you know, obviously the white bleach makeup underneath. The, the green hair dye, you know, good luck in the 70s convincing somebody, oh, yeah, you know, Shining, dude from One Flew Over the, the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, the only actor ever to win uh, an Oscar in four consecutive decades. He's going to have green hair and, you know, play this iconic role. You would have never believed it, um, but it it was the casting that you could depend on the most going in. And, you know, by the time you're in the the weirdo 
stuff that he does with Jerry Hall with the with the mask and, you know, the the appearance motif, you know, that that his visage is screwed up. Therefore, he must do that to others. And then, you know, all the the Smilex stuff, just the the zaniness of the the mimes the clowns who who die but then have their likeness used in his weird kind of like hostage video that comes after the news anchor lady gets overcome on tv but it all works and it remains so eminently watchable i was concerned i was i was gonna cringe at this but it holds up nearly as well as it did on a movie screen in 1989. And this mid-movie tension here of the the poisoned hygiene products, you know, you can summarize it in a sentence as we get in the film. It's the different combinations and so forth. We get it spelled out, you know, whatever it is, you know, deodorant, not deodorant alone, but deodorant and hairspray and mouthwash. So, like, just the point being the terror is so understandable and then the explanation of why it's not widespread but is um is happening throughout the city and so forth just just all of that just works it ties back to the 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 chemical plant this set that we return to and return to but it doesn't feel like oh well we built a big thing and we have to go back to it um i would even say pete it's only because i've seen this movie so many times for so much of my life I know that they were very, very proud as a production of kind of the, you know, the streets of Gotham City. Don't get me wrong. It's you know eminently well done as a production design and all the details and so forth. If you've seen the movie as many times as so many of us have, you really do kind of get a sense of like, okay, uh, the, the city town square or whatever, like there's four, there, there's four walls to it. There's city hall there's the monarch theater there's this there's that it's it's not that huge an area um you know give it five or seven years and you could be doing you could be doing digital set extensions and things of that sort but it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't show that it's lacking here i think in part because again it's this weird it is this weird place they're making the conscious decision to have built you know this gotham city not you know, as in with the Superman movies, a metropolis that's shot in New York, even mm-hmm. this notion of like when they go to the museum, it confused me more as a kid. Maybe it confuses me less now, but the answer at the end of the day is it's because it's Gotham city. Like they, it's a fancy museum that also has a fancy restaurant. Now don't get me wrong. I know that that is actually a, re- a you know, real thing in the real world, but I don't know that like, for example, New York, I don't know that people say, Pete, there's going to be, there's going to be a, a a special candlelit meal between a billionaire uh, guy like Bruce Wayne and this world famous photographer. They're they're going to eat at you know that restaurant that's at the Museum of Modern Art. Like you would just go to the famous restaurant, the Chez Paris or the whatever that's the that's fancy fancy. Um, but it works here because of course in Gotham City that it's a world class museum with paintings and uh statues and upstairs you know a small uh, a small world-class restaurant and the carryover industrial design from outside to inside with oversized air ducts that will deliver uh poison i mean 
they're killed, right? This is not knockout poison. He he murders everybody in this sequence, right? I I, I would imagine so, yeah. This is not sleepy time, Smilex. Like, the, the decision to veer away from the camp of the TV show is out of their hands. It, it can't be the same. You, you can't recreate that. You can't do that on the big screen, the colors, the tone, etc. Okay. So, you know, let's hear Burton's pitch. Great. Love it. Okay. I didn't know it was 50,000 people wrote in that's, that's gosh, I'd, I'd love to read those letters and, you know, just see how many of those people just absolutely consume their words. Um, it's a hundred percent the right decision here, you know, all the casting, everything. And, you know, Nicholson's Joker is no joke. Uh, he's only funny to himself. And, uh, you know, the, the oversized beret, again, the risks that he takes, I don't, I'd love to know where he, drew a line in his performance uh, and it, no i won't do that or what have you you know th- this this stupid beret that he wears uh the layers of makeup um how long he must have sat every day for them to do what they do to the corners of his face um and then they leave it all on film for them it's it's really astounding i don't know but for like a a tom hardy okay a heath ledger that we have such performances in any comic book superhero movies like this and and this is the granddaddy of them all i i agree asterisk I think that here this is a movie coming out 11 years after Superman the movie, a movie that's greenlit like 1986. So, you know, a bit more than a handful of years after you're, let's say, analyzing the success of Superman the movie. You know, this is the granddaddy, the great granddaddy, you know, is Brando. Um, I meant his performance. I'm sorry, not not the film. No, I mean his performance. Brando's not on this level. Oh, uh, with that, I definitely, definitely agree. You're mentioning all the casting here. Have to mention uh, the one person who's been uh, left unmentioned here, Michael Goff as Alfred. I mean, isn't it go? Isn't it Michael go? Yeah, Pete, however, it said just iconic down to I'm sure you well remember the let's see what there was the diet. No, not it was the Coke commercials with. Yes. He, where he's serving like he became we have a this... listener who's who's uh included in on uh the poll on twitter well then then perfect like like he his alfred became the proxy when you couldn't get um when you couldn't get batman or heck pete you know when the series does a soft reboot uh with batman forever you know he's the one that carries over okay fine so does uh pat hingles commissioner commissioner gordon um, but again, it's like this Alfred, I mean, I was going to say he's, he's defined Alfred forward. I mean, I think that whenever I'm like, 
Really? You went and got Jeremy Irons for the DCEU? I think part of my eye-rolling is because he's not this Alfred. Um, I Yeah, I mean, he's just par excellence. That we've since done an Alfred TV show and the potential and the character, and it all stems from, you know, this depiction, the, the love of the the foster, the surrogate dad that he has. The the four movies here. I mean, geez, Matt, I, I lost a great uncle who became like a grandfather um the the day we went to see Batman and Robin. Um and seeing that film and Alfred in that film like that was a really moving experience. I think it speaks to the it's it speaks to the power that's inherent with this film. I know you're talking about Batman and Robin, but you know it, it's connection to the Alfred actor and all of that. Um, I think of the the scene. You know, we get out of the museum. There's a bit of a you know I shouldn't say a bit. There's a fun fight on the street there. We get to see the Batmobile in action. Um, again, all these check boxes that have to be checked to me, that's the best. You're not doing a better Batmobile than, than, than the one in this film. And I feel like the scene where the Batmobile is leaving Gotham city headed, you know, we now know to the Batcave and so forth. Danny Elfman's music is cranked mm-hmm. up all the way. And I think like, that's the movie in a nutshell saying we did it. We, the creators, not we, the audience, we did it you know, here it is. It's almost a hundred percent real. You know, it's again, like I said, it's half a reality away from our, our, our boring existence, our boring reality, but here it is. We got Batman in the suit. We got the Batmobile. What are we headed to? It's the bat cave. It's the bat music. It's all just there operating by its own set of rules and so forth. And it's just, you know, there's a reason why this movie did in 1989, $411 million, why it was by and large, you know, the the biggest thing since sliced bread in a long, long time. Um, I don't have the list in front of me. Probably at the time, so off the top of my head, you're probably talking Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and E.T. probably were bigger than it. That would have been it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was everywhere, you know, I and remain a a Star Wars guy, you know, my, my brother right behind me you know, was big into superheroes, still is Superman, but like, dude, Batman just became his world uh, in a way that the TV show did not, you know, and it was in his his sweet spot, you know, 11, 12 years old uh, that summer and, and just you could not escape it. It was impossible you know, to replay in my mind that that was the summer of Indiana Jones and the last crusade and star Trek five, the final frontier yet the, the level to which this dominated the landscape. I mean, Matt, uh, stranger things season five, it's final season is set in 1989. There's, there's photos of a marquee, uh, Batman, you know, they're, they're going to, at least tangentially go there uh the warner brothers joint um 
yeah just you you could not escape it you know mtv the theater the the radio uh your your video games yeah it was it was everywhere and in retrospect you know rewatching this film which like you i've i've seen a million times but you know to watch it through the the lens now in a in a mcu world like again this is og level in terms of like all right you you transfer something from from comic book to screen and even it wasn't the first time but you know they improved it to that level well and you've mentioned the, the you know 1966 tv show several times here again i have no doubt that it was on before this movie came out but i just remember that summer kind of in the shadow of this film and you know batmania and you know people are they're kid guys in school that have the batman you know uh cowl outline shaved into their head and so on and so forth and just batman shirts <laughs> everyone and so forth to have that show running two episodes my recollection is like two episodes a day five days a week yeah. uh, on channel 11 and it was like you knew on the one hand it was not it was not the same as the movie but especially you know me as a nine-year-old like it's just more batman and what it's you know it's a new not just new episodes two new episodes a day and you know there to be continued episodes and you know so on and so forth just how it was this you know what we would now call you know value added to the back catalog and things like that but it was just it was the way to get more batman when you couldn't get batman uh-huh. And at a certain point, maybe now, maybe later, Pete, we'll talk about, in fact, why don't we talk about it right now, even though we're kind of tangentially mid-movie, the idea that this came out on home video that November, November 1989, that was not done. You would have to wait a year for it to come out on home video because wisdom was you needed to just completely you know, milk your entire theatrical run. You think back to Star Wars, what, a little bit more than a decade earlier, where it's in, you know, in theaters for an entire year and all of that. The idea that not only could you get this on tape, on VHS, that November, a movie that came out in June, but it was priced to buy. It was $25, so you too yeah. could have your own copy, among other things. Not only was that just a complete resurgence, now it's like, oh man, I know somebody who has it, let's watch it, blah, blah, blah. But it was this beginning of, oh, wait, the marketing machine that you put in for the movie spills into the home video. You're getting yep. two for one on the, the marketing money that you spent, which now, again, we just take as for granted. Like, you know, we saw Marvels whenever we saw Marvels. Now it's out on Disney Plus. It's that not that the marketing has continued all the way, but it's just do you remember that movie? Now go see it again. That sort of thing that we just take. We take the home video, the streaming, this, and that for granted. This was, you know, knocking the doors off stuff. Not the first to do it, but certainly the first on its level. I mean, geez, I remember the Alan Quartermain movie being in movies and just being a mess that it is. And boom, I'm in a um, we had a pharmacy that also uh, rented movies at a little display and like wow, this movie was just out and is on video cassette. No, Batman 1989, you know, wearing that out on VHS, you just kept it in the thing and you just played it over and over and over again, end to end. 
And then maybe if you were fortunate, you had a, a separate box that rewound it and put it back in because that was bad doing your machine and you could break it. You know, we 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 brought VCRs for repair. We we ran so many movies into the ground. Um, yeah, just the the way that that became a thing because of the success of this film. Um, and to watch it over and over and over again, I mean, fad, I, I think fad sounds connotative, uh, maybe more so a craze or phase. Like, again, if, if you did not live through this or weren't old enough to recognize how everywhere this was and the acceptance of it and the embracing of it that you know i I don't know that we could fully have today you know you mentioned before it's even been seen sight unseen fifty thousand people writing letters how dare you how dare you you know now i think that had happened after the fact i guess on twitter i i don't know um we're talking about all the money that this movie made and uh, follow me, follow the bouncing ball here, Pete. I believe it's in the museum scene. Someone, he says, Joker, what do you want? He says, my face on the $1 bill. Um, I had probably given to me the comic <laughs> book adaptation of the movie, uh, which I'm assuming was based on like a slightly earlier version of the script and whatnot. Um, and that line at least in the comic book adaptation has resonance because when you get to the, uh, the bicentennial parade where Joker has promised to give away, I think it's $30 million in cash and so forth. And that's the lure to get people there. Of course, the balloons filled with Smilex gas. They're going to be overinflated. It's going to kill all these people in the comic book adaptation of the movie. It's revealed that the money that he is giving away all has his face on it. Of course it does. It's a joke right yeah. joker etc cetera, etc cetera. and i, I kind of lament that that um that that is not revealed in the movie i think actually i've gone back and looked uh, with great fidelity maybe not but look clearly they're not as a production they're not actually it's not actually you know ones or fives or ten you know it's not actual right. money anyway but i think kind of line right and he, the implication is is strongly there is is there a, a cutscene where somebody grabs one and looks at it. It 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 ruins the climax of the film to do that, and it would create a situation under which, like, oh man, this we can't trust this guy either. No, that it's with the Robin Hood esque, uh, you know, hook that he's getting them, and it's strangely the only time rewatching it, you know with the balloons that obviously you have to do the special effects trickery with that obviously are not on the set that you don't buy the scale of where they are you know oh this is the whole city this is a 200th birthday party there's not enough people in this scene for me to buy this yeah it's it's a handful of years ahead of when you would have as I said before, digital doubles or even just practical 
like set extensions, but you'd use a computer to comp in and things like that. Um, I do think that probably a way to combat that truth is, uh, look, when in doubt, go to a close-up of Jack Nicholson. At, at various points in this parade, he's looking straight into the camera, you know, and not accidentally. He's just, as he's dressing, everybody's addressing the camera. Then just, you know, who will save us? Um, the notion of the bat wing, just the way it's introduced, this excellent design. Pete, why he'd have a bat wing that's completely ready to go to <laughs> capture the... What are you saying? The lines for the without. It's like, but you're not supposed to like. Again, this is half a reality over because when he saves the day, like I can only imagine. Like it was, it's always cool when after he snipped the balloons and the balloons are okay, and he goes up above the clouds. It's always a cool moment. I can only imagine like against the moon, man. Yeah, opening on, he weekend, made, where he yeah he goes made up. his own logo for the camera. Yeah, but, like but there must Burton, have been people in the theaters going. Oh my! It's, it's perfect. This is it's all but, I've ever wanted. Burton you know? completely sells it. Yeah. Okay. This is this is the breakfast machine. This is um you know stop motion worms in a live action movie. I mean, you had the the stop motion uh, shield of the Batmobile earlier. Um, it it's completely teed up i mean geez matt we we got the the beetlejuice beetlejuice title this week which is perfect okay we got the the teaser poster that gives the date which is a ticket that beetlejuice is waiting for in the afterlife uh cannot wait to see what he does with this uh all these years later and you know yeah like every director's got that guy right okay and and keaton's his guy and geez again beetlejuice to this think how much time michael keaton spent with tim burton over a two three year period and then project that outward and what it did for both of their careers and just a total marriage of tone and performance. As we head to the final act here in the film, um, I don't think it suffers in any way, but I think it's part of this comic book, this comic book contrast of we've gone so big, you know, created a brand new world and all these rules and how we got to a Joker and a, and reasonably to a Batman and a Batmobile and the Batwing and so on and so forth. But we need to have the showdown mano a mano that also includes our female lead um, and also wraps up the conflict at large, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I don't want to give them know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. At the height of it. Cause again, as audacious as the film is, it knows we have to swing for the fences. There is no tomorrow. We have to do it all in this. Again, apart from, you know, the the sadness of what Billy D never got to give us with Two Face, um, which still my my mind struggles to understand what that would even look like. But boy, would I want to see him try. 
uh yeah and it it's an interesting sequence you know it it's in the theater first time it is edge of your seat like all right they're going to this cathedral and pews are knocking down and you know okay now they're having this fight and the reveal and everybody knows uh you know vicky and and bruce and jack the joker uh who each other is and and what is at stake uh and to not have it be a i'm gonna beat you up and that's the end of it that all right it's an escape attempt and we hook the statue and it is mirroring what happened earlier in the film with his plunge into the vat uh but you're not coming back from this one and you're gonna make money for the rest of your life uh based on this one role yeah and then kind of the uh before we get to kind of the the full ending or the in a sense kind of a dramatic postscript the fact that the joker is still laughing oh wait it's just a box there like it's just enough to make you think it could there be could you know and, and i think part of that oh, that was the whole thing that summer man like oh they're gonna bring him back he he didn't die <laughs> they're, they're gonna bring him back and it's like all right you know i know maybe you don't watch the tv show but like there's so many other great villains to do because that was the other thing like oh is it riddler next is it catwoman is it the penguin like and what do they do they they establish the the next generation comic movie trope of the the number of the film determines the number of antagonists in the film which i think is a bit of a blessing and a curse uh Again, next week, we are not doing uh, Batman Returns. We're doing Batman Mask of the Phantasm. The Pete, what some people call the second best Batman movie after this one. And I'm super excited. I have never seen a second of it. Uh, I'm going to watch it today. <laughs> um, I had seen bits and pieces of Batman Returns over the years. Um which was a hit in its own right. And, you know, certainly uh, on the heels of this, they earned that and they to get the number of people back that they did. But it's not this film. And, you know, I. The, the iconic experience of of this film and that other it, it's OK. Yeah, I um, I'm not a big Batman Returns guy. Once I watched it end to end, I was like, yeah, it you know, unlike this film, it suffers from all the boxes you need to check, including now you need to do origin stories for two villains and give them their due, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I distinctly remember seeing that in the theaters and going, "Are we going to like get some Batman soon?" Um, or even feeling like, oh, feeling in that film, oh, it's it's great that he has a clown uh, pole walker chopper downer, which is different than his clown <laughs> on a motorbike knocker downer, you know. But none of that, I, I know, So, so somehow it's reality uh, uh, recipe is not correct. But here, particularly as we head to the end with 
you know, uh, again, if you're if you're coming from the history of certainly the comics or certainly the the TV show that where the credits would always show the bat signal there, the whole you know, if ever you are in need of help again, send us a sign, you know, and then you know, Pete, good news, they didn't kill Alexander Knox, who is able to get one more line and say, you know, whatever the line is, how do we signal? What's this? Or you know, how do we let him know? He gave us a signal. Boom, the bat signal. The the camera moving up. You don't even today, Pete. You don't notice how the camera craning up is <laughs> a series of shots kind of comped together with like wipes and model stuff and this and that, the other because the music takes over, the emotion yes. takes over. Falling, okay, coming off the cathedral sequence, um, all the the feelings. You know, would would Basinger return right uh vicky and bruce forever uh you know all of that you know the the prince soundtrack is great it's unique i don't know how timeless it is i think it's it's very much of a time it, it's new wavish um and then the elements too of of the camp from the TV series that it tries to graft over to to what the film's providing, um, and not everything could be used going forward. And then you know it's it's Burton standing on his own and getting to lean in, rightfully so, to be more weird in the sequel uh but the the way they leave you here yeah it's 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 triumphant and uh they 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 swung they they hit it out of the park um but you know the the confidence that they they show on screen you had to wait until it was in the theaters and and people were streaming out of this and saying, Oh my God, you got to go see this, uh, you know, the, the movie of the year. And I mean, our esteem for this movie, I think certainly backed up, uh, um, with our poll on Twitter here. Um, how would you rate it? Would you give it a one, uh, Joker's face and the $1 bill got 0% two bats dinner to museum, 0%. Three bats, who are you? Got sixteen point seven percent, and then four bats, close to perfect, eighty three point three percent. Some replies here on Twitter. First one is from Ben Larson. It's at Larson Ben. First saw it in theaters as an eleven year old. Watched it over and over on VHS, um, and it, so much so that he had to seek out a video on YouTube that the Batman nineteen eighty nine VHS commercial mm. uh, because it felt weird not seeing it in front of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah it's just some of those you know it was so huge and it was so well earned i think is the takeaway bruce wayne would drink diet coke (laughs) uh we also heard from spider-ham lincoln at tess lc 139 salt in theaters as a high school upperclassman in 89 great movie really fun new versions of batman and the joker keaton and nicholson killed it i even had the prince soundtrack on cd pete i just had the tab open i closed it it went double plot because my memory is like oh there's some i don't know that i love the prince songs in there certainly as a kid it kind of felt a little 
out of the movie. I think it's a little bit better now. More full appreciation of the late great Prince and all that. Um, It went double platinum, sold 2 million copies in the U.S., so it did just fine. Um, Spider-Ham Lincoln saying Basinger's Vicky Vale was hot, and this Alfred was my favorite. We had multiple copies. I'm one of four boys in my family. We had multiple copies of the CD and the audio cassette. Uh, That thing was on repeat when you weren't watching the movie later in the year you were listening to that album well and uh, about the album that opinion shared by andre yeager at dr polo in 1983 that prince soundtrack was on point i still have the vinyl in my collection love this movie remember when everyone hated the keaton casting uh pardon me he says i remember when everyone hated the keaton casting he killed it and everyone was shocked he's still playing that part 35 years later uh which again will be interesting when we get at the end of the dc film fest we get the flash that'll be an interesting journey. Um, and last tweet, Pete, we heard from It's Twitter, Not Life. It's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. First movie I ever stood in a real line for on opening night. And I was amazed what incredible work still largely holds up. Great performances, action scenes, and soundtrack made you believe a man could bat. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just about perfect. I mean, I, yes. Is there stuff where you could say this this effect isn't great or this they would do differently now, but there's not, there are not problems with this film. No, no. And they trusted Burton to deliver this, uh, coming off the strength of Beetlejuice in a world where most of the people hadn't seen Beetlejuice yet, that they had given him this film that, he's making it that he's doing what he does. Uh, yeah. I just, the, the freedom that they gave, I mean, let's be honest, Burton is an auteur, um, you know, history now reflects that, you know, he's a guy that has a unique vision, um, and the material that he does, you know, that's why I think Beetlejuice Beetlejuice is, is just going to be, such an interesting return after so much time, you know, if, if he could return to, to Batman, not that we could ever go back with the way that, you know, obviously comic book culture and and films have progressed since then. Um, you know, it, it, it would be a, it would be a step back, but a step back in a good way. Um, yeah, just dying to see what he's done returning to those characters and, you know, your imagination just runs wild with what he might do if he could return with, with Batman. Well, I know we've talked about how we're not doing Batman Returns next week. I know how we've mentioned next week we'll do Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Just want to note that in two weeks time, uh, closing out February, uh, we will be doing either Batman Forever or Batman and Robin. Um, and uh, those who uh, support us on Patreon, uh, the, the vote is still open as to that. Um, I have to confess, Pete, I don't remember exactly when the uh, when the poll closes. I think it's when I think it's next weekend so that we can properly announce one of them in a commanding lead. That's all I will say. Um, but certainly a, you know, uh, our Tim Burtonless Batman 
future charted out for the next couple of weeks and so forth. Um, and again, next week we'll announce how things uh, have been decided by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content here, the ability to vote for what we will do in two weeks time. Uh, a lot of times though, we make stuff available to everybody. Uh, but to have unfettered access, Matt takes just a dollar a month. Uh, you place the price on the content past that. Um, can't contribute now, get yourself over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review uh, to any of our 35 podcast feeds. And Pete, let's keep the comic book conversation, the geeky conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on threads. You can find me on Blue Sky, which is now open to everybody don't need an invite code anymore at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,600 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantastic.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail and threads where we are fantastic as well but wait Pete, there's more Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As we've teased a few times, next week, uh, available on Mass, on Max, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, that animated offering. Really looking forward to revisiting that. Uh, and then more Batman as we close out February. Looking for a couple of weeks past that, we'll be doing, Pete, with great trepidation for us all, we'll be doing Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds 2011 to kick off March. Uh, and then some more Batman stuff after that. But for now, I will say adios to all our listeners, Pete, and give you the final word. Talk to you soon.